Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. This morning, we are back in Ephesians, and we're going to be talking about something that's interesting to me, but it's church growth. Now, what's, what's crazy about church growth is it's very popular. There's this movement, the church growth movement that's taking place right now with the, the mega church and the, and the bigger churches. And, and everybody has kind of this goal, this hope to be this next church, this mega church. They have their conferences, right? There's conferences you could go to, to to learn the proper protocol, the proper methods to get the church to be bigger. You know, there's books. Like, I've been to a couple of the conferences. And, and you know, they just kind of teach you all these different things, like how to how to basically model your church like McDonald's. And, and you know, this is your... Uh, advertisement structure and these kind of things because it works and it's effective and and then you have books that talk about it and then actually every week actually it's pretty much every week I get an email in the in my mail that says hey want to grow your church from 100 to 1000 in three months here's what you do and just give us 10 bucks and you know and we'll give you the information but there's this whole movement of church growth and principles that we're learning on how to grow the church. And, and as I'm reading the Bible, what I'm noticing is I don't see the model that we are doing as a church. I don't see that model in Scripture. In fact, I don't even see our main emphasis of the church today as being the main emphasis of what God and what Paul, what the, what the Word of God says, which is the main emphasis is not so much numerical growth, but spiritual growth. Now, this is not to say numerical growth isn't important. What I'm saying is that the, the major emphasis of Scripture seems to be spiritual growth, that God wants His church to be mature, that God wants His church to be spiritually healthy to be growing spiritually day by day that God wants to give and we find these truths in the word of God because once again this is a danger like you watch the seems like the modern growth church movement is like how to grow like well McDonald's has figured it out right their, their evangelism method seems to work because everybody there is a McDonald's like when I was in Peru I was in the slums of Peru right outside of Lima and like there's nothing and you turn the corner and there's a McDonald's like it's crazy but they were like so their model is well if McDonald's is that effective maybe we should if coke has a coke in every continent maybe we should figure out how to do it like coke let's model our principles after the world and it's a very dangerous game because it's not biblical. The reason why the church can't go to the Bible and say, hey, let's figure out A to Z how to numerically grow the church. The reason why we can't go to the Bible and find some business model is because the Bible's more focused on are you growing spiritually? Are you growing maturely? Now, the Spirit will do what the Spirit does. The Spirit will grow and grow numerically, and evangelism is important. So don't hear that. But what we're going to be talking about is true growth in the church. Ephesians 4, 
where we are today, but in verse 15, Paul says this, but speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So Paul's focus is that you grow up into Christ. Now, if you've been with us this last week, what we talked about, we're in this conversation of unity, unity in the church. Now, last week we learned that Paul's called us to say, live according to your calling, right? Let your calling, walk according to your calling. Let your life make sense in light of your calling. Let your life make sense in light of the gospel. And we ask that question, does my life make sense in light of the truths that I claim? If I just looked at my life and how I walked and how I lived and how where my hope is, does it make sense in light of what we say we believe? And so that moved into that unity that if we're going to be united, we have four characteristics that we all have to have for unity. And we're not creating unity, we're keeping unity, right? Because we were created in unity. We had one baptism, one father, one faith, one hope, one church, one body. We have unity, right? God in Christ, in our baptism, in our salvation, we became one. So we're not creating it, we're keeping it. How do we keep it? Four characteristics. Humility, right? So look, I don't care who you are. If you don't have humility, you're not going to have unity. So if we all come in here, how'd y'all do when you walked into this building today? Like when we came into this building today, were you thinking about, man, I hope it's cool. Last week it was hot or, you know, I hope they had the coffee, man. You know, last week the donuts weren't as good as they usually are. Maybe are we thinking about me or are we coming in? I'm thinking about God and how to serve each other because that's the humility. It's not about, humility is not self-deprecating. Oh, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. Oh, what was me? It's not the Eeyore mentality. It's not the fishing for compliments. It's I don't think about myself. I put God first and others second, right? So that's humility. That's how we have unity. We keep unity. Then we have meekness, power under control. Then we are long-tempered, right? Long-suffering, long-tempered. You guys, we have to be, we can't be walking on eggshells with each other. We're going to offend each other. We're going to say things. So we got to be long-tempered that every time somebody offends you, you're not snapping at them or you're not running or you're not trying to gossip or slander them. You are long-tempered. Then you are willing to bear with one another. That we understand that you're messed up, I'm messed up, right? We're all just trying to figure this out by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. He's changing us. He's transforming us. That is helping us keep unity, not create it. But then Paul's going to go this, this morning, we're going to go into two more things that we need for unity. He's going to give us the gifts that we are given for unity, and he's going to give us the result of what it looks like when we have the positions of the gifts involved or, or put in place for unity. So it's the gifts and the result. So Ephesians 4, that's where we are. Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 11 is the gifts. And then we're going to get to the rest of the chapter, which is what is the result of unity. So here it is. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So on this topic of unity, keep unity, walk worthy of the calling, he moves into this next topic of these four spiritual gifts, or totally just spiritual gifts in general, that every person in the church, in the body, has a grace 
gift. Now, here's the thing. Paul in Corinthians, when he, before he talks about gifts in chapter 12, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the gift. So he doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. And it's ultimately for the unity of the church. Now, I want to ask you a question. 2,000 years later, what is the major thing we're ignorant of? The gifts. What is the biggest thing that causes most division in the church today? The gifts. So the one thing that was supposed to bring unity and that Paul said, I want you to know, we don't know and have a biblical understanding of, and we let it divide us. It divides us. So now we become a church where, well, 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 this church is the tongues church, and this church is the this church, and this church is not the, this is the spirit church, and this is not the spirit church, but they got the spirit, but this is not the spirit church, but they have another spirit, and they have a second spirit, and a second blessing of the spirit, and this is this spirit. What are we doing? The gifts, we're uniting the church. And yet, listen to me. And, and okay, I need to calm down. Because here's the thing, I'm very passionate about this, and I don't want it to come across like I'm, I'm being bold and, and, and arrogant in this or trying to hurt people, but I'm very passionate about this because here is my heart. God has broken my heart a long time ago for his church, and God has broken my heart a long time ago for the unity and love within the church. And when I read the Bible, I see 50-something times, I think 59 times, one another, one another, one another, love, 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 unite, 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 lift each other, carry each other, burdens, you know, walk with each other. I see one another, one another, one another. And then I read the Bible, and I see in four places in the Bible, 59 and love one another's, four places where it talks about gifts. Now, I'm not diminishing gifts. I think gifts are very important. We're going to talk about that. But what I am saying is that when we start to seek the gifts over love and unity, at the expense of love and unity. When we start to implement the gifts and in our immaturity abuse each other, that is dangerous, y'all. You're taking a jackhammer to the church and it's very toxic. In fact, even in places where the Bible talks about the spiritual gifts, it is always, in fact, every place you read it, love and unity are a major theme within the talking about the gifts. Love, unity, love, unity. Paul comes after this whole thing of we are one body. But this is, this is how cool, this is how cool God is. He says we're one body, one body, one, 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 one. And now he's going to move into diversity. This is cool because what happens is there's in unity, there's diversity, right? You see, what we, what we try to see today and what we're seeing today is that you can't have unity unless you have uniformity. You cannot be diverse and be, be unified. So what I'm saying is conformity or uniformity is this, where you have churches. We want to be united. We all want to be one. So what's going to have to happen is everybody coming here, you got to dress a certain way. You got to look a certain way. You got to get a certain haircut. You got to believe. You got to You better not come in here and get ready to raise your hands or dance, y'all. We all going to sing the same way, the same movement. Everybody stare, hands up, suck on a limit, and, and worship God. Now I'm not, but this is uniformity. We want to look the same to be united under the same. That's not the Bible. Now, I'm not saying a worship style is one way or another is biblical, but uniformity is not Bible. Unity in diversity. 
It's so beautiful because uniformity is pressure from the outside, trying to mold you into some image so that we all look the same, right? And especially in our climate today, you can't be different from everybody else because if you're different, then you can't get along with each other. You know, you can't have unity because we're all different. We all got to like conform to something. And even in the school, I'm uh, get on the school system. Um, if you're different in the school system, they drug you and they say, you need to have this pill, this pill, this pill, this pill, because we want to conform you into some image that you've got to look like because we want to... But the Bible is Holy Spirit unites us from the inside in our spirit. He unites us in the baptism in the one spirit. And then we have unity through diversity because that's a blessing. Not only through the gifts of diversity, we all have different gifts, but we have diversity in just who we are. We have different races. We have different ethnicities. We have different backgrounds. We have different ages. We have two, we have different sex, just two different sex. And we have different economics. Come from different backgrounds, come different, some one parent, some two parents, some uh, grandparents. And we all have come from different backgrounds. And I praise God for that because there are some churches where, especially, you know, in the modern pop mega church where we want just the young people. Like, and if you're, if you're old, we're going to pass out our, our skinny jeans to you because we want you to look a certain way. You're over 60. We got to throw skinny jeans on you. <laughs> it's got a mental image. Um, and then we have other churches that, you know, where it's just all gray hair. It's a sea of gray hair. And they say, we want young people, but ultimately they say that. But then you come in the church and say, we want you young people, but we only want you to come and conform to us. You can't be the diverse. We don't want diversity. We want you to conform to us. So we want you to be young, but we want you to look and act and be like us. But I praise God that we have old, young, like I said last week, it's a blessing. It still amazes me. But young and old people all coming together, different backgrounds, the diversity, and we're able to have such unity and love through one spirit. So Paul says, going into the gifts, he says in verse 7, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so Paul is going to say, this is given to us. These gifts are given to every single one of us by grace. It's a grace gift. Why is it called a grace gift? Because it's it's given to us according to the measure of God's grace. It's a grace endowment. The word actually gift is charisma, and actually it comes from the word charos, which is grace, okay? So it's this charisma God has given you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You weren't more holy than somebody. You didn't have somebody do something to you that gave it to you. It doesn't belong to you. It is a grace gift. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because you're holier. It's given by God as a gift to you. And so every one of us has been given a grace gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's for the edification. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So this grace gift is not for you, it's for all. It's for everybody. Peter says it this way, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, so listen. Some of us are like, I don't know what my gift is, right? As we're talking about gifts, how do I know what my gift is? And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the first thing you need to know is that you have one. Every believer in Christ has a gift, a grace gift given to them by God, at least one. Second thing you need to know is nobody has them all, okay? I've actually met somebody who came to me and said, David, I think I have them, I have them all. Just, I, I got them. And I'm like, uh, I think I, this was a while ago, this was before we even started this church, I think I said, well, then you could go and be your own church because you don't need nobody, right? Because the gifts are for 
the body and we all have different gifts so that we come together and use our gifts for each other. And if you got them all, then man, go be your own island, right? Go be your own church. So we all have them. Nobody has them all. And thirdly, they are distributed by, by God to us in his sovereign will by his grace. I'm going to say that again. They're not because of something you did. They're not because you are more spiritually elite. They're not because of whatever. They are because of the grace of God. And yet, and this is where I get frustrated. I get frustrated because when I see, and I've been a part of different movements and different churches and different backgrounds, different denominations, and I've seen the gifts used well, and I've seen them abused and distorted and almost bastardized according to our world and our new age movement and spirituality and mysticism. And but when I walk into a church and I see, when I experience a lot of times with the gifts is I see an elitism mentality. I see people who use certain gifts and it's always the showy ones. It's always the one, and Paul addresses this too. It's the showy ones that they use them to edify themselves, to glorify themselves, to stand above, to make them feel more elite. And it makes me enraged because what I see is the abuse of these gifts cause other people's faith to be crumbled and shattered and broken and disunified in the church, which is completely contrary to what I see in the scriptures. You see, what we see with the God, God says these are for the building up, the edification. They're God's sovereign gifts to the body. And so they're for the building, the love of God. You see, and therefore it's for all people. Your gift is not for you. It's not to edify you. It's not to glorify you. It's for all people. This week, this week I had two, actually two incidences where this happened. We, we were going to the beach and we're trying to clear out our, our, our fridge. We're trying to clear out our fridge. And so we're like eating all of our leftovers. And, you know, the other night I give like Octavia and, and Ian like the stale chicken nuggets. Or no, Judah and Ian, like the stale chicken, because they're babies. They don't care. Um, and so they get the stale chicken nuggets and like the, the halfway ripe, uh, rotten uh, broccoli. And uh, we don't waste food. I mean, it's salad, so it really is not food. But, you know, it fills them up so they don't eat the good stuff. Um, but we had a bowl of spaghetti in the fridge, right? And now my family is, 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 is me, right? Like they, we are meat and potatoes, meat and carbs, okay? If we have to eat greens, it's usually on meat or carbs. And so Octavia sees this big bowl of spaghetti and she says, Daddy, I, I want the spaghetti tonight. I want, can I have the spaghetti? And everybody wants the spaghetti, right? We all, like, we're going to fight over the spaghetti. It's like, you know. And so we give her this spaghetti, this big bowl of spaghetti. And it's enough. I mean, it's really enough for like three of us, but she's, she wanted it all. And, you know, she could share it with her family. She's my child. And, but she goes and she takes this spaghetti. She's so excited about the spaghetti, this gift from her father. And she runs to her sister, Judah and uh, Ian. And the first thing comes out of her mouth. She looks at uh, Judah, because Ian doesn't care. He's just stuffing his face. But looks at Judah and says, nah, 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 nah. Everything in me was enraged. I got so mad at this child. And, and, I, and, and, I, and this was because it was so cool how God works because I was already writing this sermon. I was already thinking about this and I was already preparing for this. And then God gives me this illustration. So I, I, Pastor Dave, I sat her down and I said, hey, baby, look, 
God, just like you, God has given us gifts. I've given you this gift, and I gave this gift, and there's enough in there. For, I gave it to you, to you for you to enjoy, but to share with your siblings, to, to not boast in what you have and they don't have, or their gift, whatever. I said, I want you to realize this, and so she went over her head. But then, because the, the next, last night, we're at Walmart, and we go and buy toothbrushes, and she gets, like, the fancy electric toothbrush. She picks it out, and it's like five bucks, but I'm like, okay, I, I love electric toothbrush whatever gets her to brush her teeth and she gets it and she's like hey Judah look what I have that you don't and see we laugh at that because all that you know it's just a three-year-old being a three-year-old but when I go into some of these these movements these gift churches what I see is a lot of that and I've heard a lot of that this is what I have and if you don't have it nana 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 if you don't have it, look what I have. There's this a spiritual elitism. You see, God leveled us all up in the spirit, leveled us all up in the spirit. And somewhere along the lines, we have created levels of spirituality within the spirit. That is not biblical. We are one in the spirit. We have everything we need for life and godliness. And, and that, that, the dividing wall, it, it breaks my heart. We're one. We're one, and they're meant to be used, and we all have them, and to be filled. That's why Paul says later on, he's going to tell us after using the gifts, to be filled with the Spirit means to be walking step and step and step. You want to see your gift used? I'm, this is getting ahead of me. You want to see your gift used? What is your gift? Just start following Jesus. Start following God, because I'm sick of people saying, I've got a gift, and you're speaking it out, and you're speaking it out. And meanwhile, they're walking in sin, they're walking in brokenness, their life is falling apart, everything's wrong, everything's wrong, everything's wrong, but I've got a gift that I'm going to beat over somebody's head, and, but you know what? It's okay. I know you may not speak in tongues, but you, you know, your life, you got the fruit of the Spirit, but I've got the tongues. Guys, let's stop. Let's move forward. Paul then goes on, and what he's going to do, this is interesting, because every time you see in the Bible uh, where the, the apostles are teaching new truths or teaching truths that are deep or that are part of the church, that are for the edification or for the mystery, they always go back to the Old Testament. Why? Because it's got to show that this is not some new thing that God's doing, random thing, that it's always been rooted in the Bible. So Paul goes back to Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, he says this. He says, therefore, he says, when he ascended to Ascended uh, on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Then he goes into this parenthetical statement in parentheses. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, there are two ideas of what Paul's talking about. The first idea, and I don't believe this is the case, but it's this idea of when Jesus went to Sheol or went to hell or Hades as we call it he went to hell and he released the captives now there's this if you've read the apostles creed it's in there and and there's some scriptures that talk about this but what this is and we talk about this in depth through our uh, end time series go back and listen to it on time to do this today but um there are three levels of hell. There's three compartments of hell. Now, this is not Dante's Inferno, seven levels of hell. This is three compartments of hell scripturally. There is the lake of fire, there is the abyss, and then there is uh, the Sheol or hell or Hades, okay? That is scripturally, they're not all the same thing. Both death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Abyss is just a place of holding for the demonic, you know, that I believe in Genesis 6 that were locked up, the demonic that came down to, and, and had relationships with women. They're 
They're locked up in the abyss. They're released in Revelation. We see that. But then there's also the final resting place in the lake of fire. Nobody's in the lake of fire right now. That is empty. It'll all be thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the final dwelling place. Right now, there is hell or Sheol. And that is split up, as we see in Luke, split up to two, Abraham's bosom or paradise and torment with a great gulf. It's a great big wall. It's better than Trump's. Nobody can go through them. Okay. Nobody gets through the wall here. Abraham's bosom, the torments. And so what the Bible teaches, what, what Paul, some people say Paul's talking about is that Jesus goes down in the middle. Cause remember when Jesus tells the guy on the cross, today I will be with you in paradise. Paradise is not heaven. Paradise is this place. I'm going to be with you. What he's going to do is he's going to go down and proclaim to all the saints of the Old Testament who didn't go to torments, but died in faith, now in paradise or Abraham's bosom. He is going to proclaim to them and set the captives free. He takes them into heaven. Now, when you die, you don't die and go to paradise. You don't go to purgatory. You don't go to a resting place. To be absent in body is to be present with the Lord. You go right now to Christ because in Christ, he set the captives free. He set and cleared Abraham's bosom. They are with him in heaven. They are with him next to the Father. So that's what happens. Now, people believe that's what Paul is talking about here and releasing the captives. Now, I don't believe that. I, I don't see, I mean, I believe that's the Bible, but I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. I believe what Paul is talking about here is the literal incarnation of Jesus. That literally, he descended and he ascended, right? Because it makes more sense in what Paul's saying. That Jesus came as God, the, the, the word became flesh, so the word took on the name Jesus, right? Received the name Jesus Christ, and he became God-man. He became, I got to make sure I clarify that, because he's always been the word for all of eternity, but he took on the name Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay incarnation dies on the cross resurrects ascends back to the father now i believe that's what paul is talking about just the regular descension ascension why do i say that because we're talking about the gifts of the spirit and ultimately how do we know that jesus was accepted by the father first of all the resurrection but how do we know when he went into heaven that he made it right that he was there right now jesus is sitting on the right hand of the father how do we know that for sure the holy spirit the Holy Spirit is the affirmation, the gifts of the Spirit, the falling of the Spirit is the affirmation that Jesus is now right hand of the Father. That because God, Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to send a paraclete. I'm going to send another for you. I'm going to send a helper for you. He's going to give you all. He, he's going to be with you. So he's going to comfort you. He's going to walk with you. And he's going to teach you all things. And so now we have the Holy Spirit as evidence, as proof, as declaration that we now who die in Christ will live with Christ for all of eternity with him at the right hand of the father because of the spirit Does that make sense so jesus was accepted by the spirit but notice what he says now in verse 11 he says and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers now what paul is about to do and i want you to make this very clear because this is kind of where we get confused with giftings we're not going to go into a lot of the other giftings. We're going to spend a lot of time with he, these giftings because this is what Paul spends time with. If we're in Corinthians or we're in other places, we'll go to those. But right now we're in Ephesians. What happens, everybody has a grace gift. You all have grace gifts. But there are four positions within the church 
that God has ordained to be used for a specific purpose, that every church in the world who is genuinely the church will have these four positions. Now, whether they use them or whether they, they acknowledge them, they're going to be, if there's a, a church founded on the word, they're going to have these four pillars that help the church unite, help the church grow, and help the church mature in Christ. Okay? They're, they're four positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, pastors, teachers. So first thing is apostles. Okay, now some of you guys may have grown up where you literally, you had an apostle under, over you. You were under a church with an apostle. Now when he talks about apostles, what is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Is he talking about that or is he talking about something specific? I believe biblically he is talking about the 12 apostles plus Paul. When it says that you have apostles, the apostles, remember what he says in Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he says the church has a foundation. What's the foundation? The teachings of the prophets and apostles. So our church has a foundation. Our foundation are the apostles and the prophets. That is our foundation. And so we build the church on foundation. Because the other question, if you start getting into this idea that there's modern day apostles, the question is, where does our authority lie? As a church, where does your authority lie? In the foundation, right? Spoken through by the Holy Spirit, spoken through by God. Our foundation, that's the authority, is the word of God spoken through by the Holy Spirit. So if you have a modern day apostle, he has no authority. His job was to lay the foundation. Apostle's job is to lay the foundation for the church. Is, and we're going to talk about that. But this is where we get in danger when you start talking. We have more modern-day walking apostles. I'm not your authority. You guys, if you come to me and say, David, how do we do this? What do, what do we? I'm not your authority. Uh, the, 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 the Bible's your authority. You, you, I mean, I'm not your padre. I'm not your, I can't do nothing. I can't, I don't have any special connections to the big guy upstairs, as they say. I, I'm your pastor having a gift for the edification of the church. I'm not the authority. The apostle, this is where we get like Jehovah's Witnesses. They have eight apostles up in New York who have authority over scripture. And so they can change with the scriptures. They can mold the scriptures. They can change the Bible. They say, this is what we do. And they, they have eight dudes, eight guys running the show as apostles in New York. Then you get people like, like, like Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Reading. Literally standing up as an apostle, saying he's an apostle, standing up and saying, guys, there's two types of truth. If Jesus speaks something and Paul contradicts Jesus, then we always, this Paul is the lesser truth and Jesus is the superior truth. So we go to Jesus and not Paul. First of all, that's never happened because there's no contradictions in the word of God. Secondly, who are you to speak authority over scripture? You're not an apostle. We have apostles. So this church has apostles. You know that? You want to know their names? It's Peter, Andrew, Philip, John, Bartholomew. Can't really pronounce that dude. Matthew, Simon, Jude, James, Thomas, James the Less, Matthias, and Paul. Those are our apostles. That's the foundation of this church. It's the, the prophets and the apostles. See, when you look at apostles, there's two arguments. Are they living or are they the apostles that we are founded on? Let's look at the difference. 
the criteria for an apostleship, biblically. Because once again, we want to go back biblically. This is not just, oh, I grew up under an apostle, so I, this is, I'm kind of leaning bent towards this, or I feel like this should happen, or I feel like this is a good, you know, let's go biblically. Acts chapter 1, verse 22. This is the requirement for an apostle. So now, someone's, they're replacing Judas because he died. He betrayed Jesus. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the uh, entire time we were traveling with the Lord. So they're trying to figure out how to replace Judas. Here's the requirements. He says, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, look, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So, they chose from amongst them, they chose from among the apostleship of somebody who's witnessed the resurrected Jesus, who walked with them, who saw them, and they're going out to proclaim to the world that Jesus is alive because we saw him firsthand. Paul actually confirms this when he's talking about his own apostleship in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ the Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Then he goes later on, he talked about the disciples. He says, after that, after he saw Jesus, he went to James and he went to the rest of the apostles and they affirmed his apostleship. Okay, so that's the first requirement. Then the second requirement is that they were followed by signs and wonders to distinguish them from all other holy men or cults or, uh, or agnostics out there. They said, Paul's affirming this in chapter 12 of uh, Corinthians 2. Truly, the signs of the apostles were accomplished among you with the perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul says, I, when I was amongst you, I walked in the signs of the apostles, of the power, the authority. Everywhere Paul went, when he got shipwrecked, man, he got bit by a snake. And everybody's like, oh, he's dead. God hates him. And he lived. And they're like, whoa, maybe he's God. And, God, and Paul's like, nah. And so Paul heals the whole island, right? Paul is just walking in the signs and wonders and miracles. Why? Because their message had to be affirmed. Just like Jesus. When Jesus spoke, the miracles were not for magic. The miracles were not for anything other than to edify and validate what he was preaching, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look, I forgive your sins. Is it easier for me to forgive your sins or raise them paraplegic off the cot? You are healed. And I'll do that in order to validate or to show you that I actually forgive your sins. Paul and the apostles did the same thing. The third requirement is that we see in Ephesians 2, the apostles received revelation and we don't. We receive illumination. There's a big difference. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, we just read it, or we talked about it, but now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundations of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the word of God, Paul is saying that we are the foundation, the apostles and the prophets, revelation from God. Now here's where the distinction is. You don't receive revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is God revealing the mysteries not made known, the mysteries made known to you. Paul receives revelation. Peter received the revelation. Daniel received the revelation, right? Elijah received the revelation. They were the mysteries revealed to God's people. So if you get a revelation, what you are saying is that what I am speaking, thus says the Lord right now, should be in the Bible for all people. Does that make sense? It's the word of God, should be scripture, canonized, it's truth, it should be for all people. That's dangerous. If you, if you want to make that declaration, then you're going to be an anathema. 
but we get illumination. And this is every believer gets illumination. And, and, and illumination is the word of God, mysteries made known, the, 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 known, the mystery that Paul reveals, that Peter reveals, that James reveals, that John reveals, the mysteries. And as we're reading through the Holy Spirit, see the Holy Spirit, the word of God is breathing and active and it's breathing because it's written by the spirit of God. And so if you don't have the spirit of God, the word of God really is just words on a page. It illuminates, it, it comes to life through the spirit and the spirit will bring to light certain things, give you the eyes to see, the ears to hear, illuminate something in scripture, a truth of the word of God, and you are transformed by, you're changed by, your your eyes are open to something that the mystery that you may never known before, and other people may have never known before, but it's in the word of God through the spirit of God, and you're just, have you guys ever had one of those moments? The illumination of the spirit through the word of God, through the truth, the knowledge of the spirit? See, that's the authority of the apostles. So, are we, do we have apostles? Yes, we do. Like I said, this church has been given that gift. We have the gift of apostles to, for the edification, the building of this church. They are the foundation. They are for this church, and they're for any church who is called to church because they have to be there. The Bible says we are members of the body, and what is it? Ephesians says we are founded on that. If you're not founded on that, then you're not the body. You're not the church, right? So we have the apostles. And also we'll say this, if you read the early church, Clement, Polycarp, and a lot of these early uh, fathers, none of them were ever called apostles, okay? None of them were ever called apostles. Just a side note. Now, prophets. Prophets. So now, does this mean that we don't believe that, that we have modern-day prophets? Because the Bible says the prophets and apostles. Some people say that. I actually tend to believe that we have modern-day prophets. But the Paul, what Paul's talking about when it comes to prophets and apostles, he's talking about prophets of the old, apostles of the new, talking about the laying down of the canonization. I believe that there's prophets today, but listen, the prophets that we see often on TV, the prophets that we see all over Facebook, the prophets that we see a lot of times in church, that actually is not biblical prophecy. Well, it is biblical prophecy. Those are the ones that got beheaded by uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel and the ones that were speaking false prophecy and being stoned by the temple. Um, that is actually has more grounding and rooting. What we see today is actually more grounding and rooting in modern mysticism and new age uh, occult practices and actually a lot of um, astronomy and astrology than it actually does in history and Bible. Um, prophecy, when you look at the Bible and you look through history, especially early church history of comes to the gifts of prophecy, what we see actually is the difference between, remember the Old Testament prophet, their job was to actually go before Israel and say, thus says the Lord, y'all need to get your junk together. Right? Y'all are sinning. Y'all are walking in sin. You guys are going through idolatry. God says, repent, turn back, or you're going to be destroyed. And in the constant, that calling, whether it's individual or group, calling to repentance, calling and saying, thus God is calling us to do, to move, to shape. In fact, in 1 Kings, this is a funny story. Listen, listen to the story. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. And then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And, and the king of Israel said to the servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, 
Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire the word of the Lord today. And so the king of Israel gathered all the prophets together, about 400 prophets, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? And all the 400 prophets said, go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Then Jehoshaphat said, is there not still an actual prophet of the Lord here so that we can inquire of him? Listen, this is so funny. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there is one man, Micah, the son of uh, of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But listen, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. That's what they thought of prophets. And yeah, when you think of modern day prophets, I mean, I look at it today and you see all these prophets getting on the TV and get, get on the internet, man. It's like this, this like I, call it, I call it prophet porn because it's just one prophet after another. You get deep in this hole and it's just, it's entertaining to watch because they're all like, man, we are going to win victory after victory and there was going to be a revival amongst the church and it's going to be great and great and we're going to have victory and victory and health and wealth and you will be blessed and you will be blessed and you will be blessed. Huzzah! And that's, that's his prophecy. God is with us. Where are the prophets? You see, the prophets, they were hated amongst men, but they were also very specific in their prophecy. Okay, they were very specific in their prophecy. It wasn't, it's not some, not this vague, generalized thing, and it could be word of knowledge or word of wisdom, but I don't know if I believe that because in my studying of scriptures, I'm reading this, where somebody will get up, because even that is not vague, when you get up and say, somebody in the room has a bad back. Well, if you have anybody over 40, we all have bad backs. I've had a bad back since I was 20, okay? My wife calls me a baby for it. Like, it's just, but this vague, generalized, I'm like, the Old Testament, they were specific and they were accurate. They were very specific, very accurate. And in fact, if they told a lie or they were not true, it did not come to fruition. You're speaking, thus says the Lord. They took them, Deuteronomy 18, they took them and they stoned them. And I think we should bring it back. <laughs> I'm just saying. A lot less false prophets. And more importantly, their accuracy was not dependent on others' faith. This is another big one. Well, I'm not, it didn't come true because you didn't have the faith. It didn't come true because you weren't doing this. It didn't come true because you weren't fighting. It didn't come true because of whatever. No, it didn't come true because it wasn't thus says the Lord. It didn't come to fruition because God speaks and God moves. The word of God does not come back empty and void. And so, in fact, the Old Testament, the Bible says that in the end, Paul says in the end times, Many are going to be deceived and following deceptive spirits, wicked spirits. And there's another thing that we got to remember. Listen, listen, we got to remember this. The prophets were not wealthy and materialistic and chasing after the ways of the world. I mean, a lot of times we, we equate wealth 
and blessings of physically to spirituality. There's no connection. Listen, if you're rich, it's not because you're holier. It's not because you're holy at all. It could be, it could be a, but also wealth could be a, not a curse. You could be more in love with Jesus when you were, bro- how many of y'all who have been broke? I'm talking about broke. <laughs> I'm talking about like looking at the cat food thinking this looks good. Close my eyes, it could be tuna fish, right? Um, now Savannah and I, we, we were broke. When we first got married, we were living off a part-time salary at a church. But in those moments, when you don't have the distractions, you actually fall in love with God. You actually have a deeper relationship a lot of times, right? It's not saying you have to, but I'm just saying that's why Jesus says it's hard for the rich, because the rich, they are distracted. But anyways, there's this saying, a lot of popular saying that, you know, with, with a lot of false prophets, that people get up or false teachers and say, well, they're blessed. They've got wealth. They're, they're driving a jet. They're driving a boat. They got the mansion. They got everything. God must be blessing them, right? Of course, they're doing something right. Guys, listen, spirituality, we got to get this out of our mind. This is the whole story of Job. That's what they were saying when Job was losing everything. The reason you're, you're losing everything, the reason you've lost your family, your, your crop, your, your goats, your farm, and your boils now, you are a sinner. You see, if you're righteous and you're doing something right, then God will bless you again. That was the story. That was an old Jewish belief system that if the right will get blessed, the, the wrong will get cursed. If the, the righteous will get physically blessed, then, then God must have hated Jesus. I mean, honestly, what about Paul? Where was his physical blessings? You know, I mean, the, I'm sure the prison was not very glamorized, right? It's not bedazzled. You see, I, I, what I read when I read scripture, and once again, I'm not saying riches are bad or riches, I'm just saying they're neutral. So don't use them as a, a tool to, to measure somebody's righteousness. Because what, what I see in the scriptures is that when Jesus was tempted in the desert, Satan said, as the God of this age, says, I will give you all the riches and all the power of the world if you follow me. And so why do we attribute when somebody's coming out and blasphemes against God, when they're professing unbiblical truths, when they've denied some of the pillars. I've heard some of these mega church pastors literally from the horse's mouth talk about Jesus is not the only way, how they are blaspheming the pillars of the truth. Why is our first assumption just because they have the word pastor in front of the name, God must be blessing them. Wouldn't it be more like Satan to affirm somebody's false teachings by giving them reward and wealth so that others believe that this teaching is somehow godly? Then for God to reward somebody who's walking away from him and teaching blasphemy and a heretic and a false prophet. Just a thought. I'm not saying 100%, just a thought. But that's what a prophet was. Okay, now listen. Do we have prophets today? Yes, I believe we do. I believe we have, and, and, and I believe there are people in this church who have the gift of prophecy. And what that looks like is, once again, this is all for the edification of the church, all for the edification of the body, all for the building up. It's the pillars that we grow under. See, I believe that God has spoken to some people. There are some people in this church that God, and I don't know if you would call it a gift or it's just the ability, God has given them visions and dreams or just a word of the Bible that says, look, this church struggles with this. We need to repent or else God is going to remove his lampstand. I've had people come and tell me, this church has this underlying sin within it. And sure enough, this church had some sins. This church struggles with pornography. That's why we're addressing it. We need to deal with it so we get rid of the poison so God won't remove the lampstand. You hear me? 
That's, that's prophecy. It's called to correct and draw the church back into the will of God to make sure that we are staying within the realm. You see, and I believe God has given me the gift of prophecy. There are times, in fact, this is kind of how I see it folding on biblically. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. I, I had a, a friend of mine call me up and said, hey, my house, everything is just falling apart. My house, the construction project, everything's falling down. I've had somebody break in, steal a bunch of stuff. My marriage is struggling really bad. Things are happening, all kinds of brokenness. Can you come and just rebuke whatever spirit's in my house and pray over me? And I say, okay, I'll go pray over your house and go pray over you. And I, I get there and I start praying and praying and praying and just, just every room, just laying my hands on the doorposts and just praying that God just moves and the Holy Spirit. And as I was praying, God's told me something and I had to pull him aside and say, bro, I need to talk to you. You struggle with pornography. God has told me that if you do not get this out of your life, you this your house will crumble. And he just started, just looked at me with his stare and it's like, but it's that calling of repentance, that calling of movement of God, the calling of getting in line with the will of God. It's not fortune telling. That is new age. That is astrology. It's not. God edifying the church to get them back to the will of God. Because that's the whole purpose of all this. That is the whole purpose of all of this. It's so that we become strong, we become in love, we become united, we become powerful, we become one. So the world can look at the church, the created church that God created, and say, God's grace is amazing. That's what Paul tells us our, our job is. Then evangelists, we're going to go now, we're just pounding through them, okay? Uh, the evangelists are not controversial. Evangelists, there's only one evangelist in the Bible, that's Philip. Philip, or at least told in the Bible uh, by name. Um, and evangelism is basically those who go out and proclaim the gospel, who have the gall, the gift, and we're all called to go make disciples and go out but in our workplaces. But there are certain people that God has just empowered to go. We have evangelists in this church that have the heart, that have the gift. They go talk to somebody, and they, they are immediately received in love. They are immediately able to, to kind of read the heart of these people, the empathy. They're able to communicate. God gives them wisdom, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge to remember and to, to refrain information to speak into people's lives, and they have that gift. Gift. I love evangelism. I don't have that gift. I mean, I, I, that's why I was talking to somebody who, who has this gift of evangelism. And I'm like, I want to build this up, this pillar up in the church so we really start moving in this gift. And I was like, man, I, I just want to be a part of it. Can I just be a part of what y'all doing? I don't need to be in charge of nothing. I just want to be a part of you guys and just walk with you because I, I, I want to watch God move in that. Like I, I get so caught up in, in the church life and, and doing my pastor job. And I'm like, I just want to go out there and hang out with the drug dealers and the, and the broken and the, and the, poor, the, the prostitutes and that's where my heart is, but God has given me other people those gifts. So um, that's the evangelist. And then the pastor and teacher. Now, I believe this is the same gift because you see some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and then some pastors and teachers. They're kind of the same. A pastor has to teach. A teacher doesn't necessarily have to pastor, but a pastor must teach. And so my job as a pastor, the gifts of teacher, pastor, the elders of this church, our job is to feed you. Our job is to feed the sheep. Jesus says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And that's my job with, as a pastor of this church. My job is not to make you laugh. It's not to entertain you. My job as a pastor is to protect you from false teachings. My job is to protect you from false prophets. My job is to teach you up in the truth and the ways of the Lord in the word of God. And then to stay. And anytime I get off of the line, out of the will of God, anytime I get out of the word of God, y'all have every right to call me on it and say, you are not being a pastor because you're not feeding us truth. You're feeding us toxin and poison. Make sense? 
So that's my job. So think about it this way as we move on. We're going to finish up here soon. But think about it this way. This is like the house that God has given us. We have the foundation, right? And then we have the, the kind of foreman who's got the architectural structures, right? These are the prophets, they have what God is saying, right? The God, this is how God's church is to be run. This is God's, you know, heart. This is God's. So the prophets have got the architect structure, the foreman. They're making sure everybody is doing their job. If we get off track, hey, let's get back on track. They're kind of keeping us in. And then you have the pastors and the teachers. They're kind of the construction workers. They're the ones getting their hands dirty, raising up, putting this brick here, putting this brick here. You know, the living stones that Peter says, we're working and we're molding them. Oh, this got a little chip in it. Let's rub this out. And that's the pastor's job. But then you have... The guy running to Lowe's, that's the evangelist. The evangelist is running to Lowe's and picking up more materials, right? They're going to get more material, get more bricks, get more wood for the building, for the structure. And so those four pillars, those four platforms within the church, and now the body and all your giftings can operate and grow in maturity. There's four places you see the gifts. Now, I'm not... Um, you're going to spend a lot of time, like I said, I'm not going to spend time even reading any of these. I just want you to look at them. I'm going to have them up there for a little bit. These are the four places in the Bible where the gifts are talked about. So how do we know what gift we have? How do you know your gift? The first thing is, I challenge you, write these down. It's pretty easy. Romans 12, Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Peter 4. Read over them. Read over them and over them and over them and pray and meditate on them. Pray and meditate on them. Let God just speak through his word and just let the Spirit bathe you and illuminate. God, where, where, where are my strengths? What, am, what do you call me to do? What gift have, what grace gift have you given me for the body? The second thing is to seek counsel from other wise people around you who know you, who love you, who are wise in the Lord. Don't seek counsel from an unbeliever or somebody who's just coming to the faith. Seek counsel from somebody who has wisdom in the Lord, who knows you. Because they are not, I was told somebody this, Nobody is going to be shocked. Somebody who knows you, who has wisdom in the Lord, should not be shocked when you tell them that you, you think your gift is. Like if the person that knows you the best and is, is wise in Christ, if they are shocked when you tell them that your gift is, like if Savannah came to me and said, hey, babe, I think God's given me a gift of singing. Let's pray about this a little more. <laughs> Christina laughed out loud. Uh, anybody knows my wife, they're like, no, um, let's pray. You know, like, oh, I have the gift of, uh, what is it? <laughs> encouragement like I don't I don't have the gift of encouragement like I don't I don't, I don't have that okay I, I try but ultimately I, I don't there's some people that have disencouragement I love how people encourage me encourage me encourage me I have to remind myself to actually thank you uh, it's not because I don't thank you I love you and I thank you but I'm just I'm always finding things wrong that's what my, that's my mind works what's wrong what's wrong but you have people who have the gift of hospitality or something who have, like I, I feel like I have the gift of hospitality but then every time People who know you, like you're an introvert, you hate people, you always look angry. Um, let's, let's continue to pray about this, okay? Let's. So the gift, your gift will not shock other people who know you, okay? They'll already see it in you. And I, I challenge you to encourage others, speak life into other people, into their gifts. I see this in you. I see that you have a gift of every time you pray. Man, there are people in this room, my wife, I tell her all the time, she's got the gift of prayer. When she prays, God listens. Like I'm talking about like, like he's like an expert. Like I pray and God's like, okay, I'll give you like five years. She's prays, God help my husband get, stop being dumb. And it's like the next day I have a dream that God convicts me. Like it's like she's got this direct line with God. But people encourage them in that. 
Because they want to know, how can I serve the body? How can I walk in the body and edify the body? But the next thing is you got to be willing and ready and intentionally about serving the body. It's not just a gift so I could be a healer because I want to be the healer. Like, are you, do you have a heart for people? Are you walking in humility and saying, I just want to serve people? I just want to love people. Man, I, I met somebody today uh, before service, and, she, and we were talking, and she, I, felt, I felt a lot of these gifts, but, man, there was the, I felt a spirit of encouragement. I felt a spirit of wisdom. I felt a spirit of prayer. I felt all these. I, I don't know what it was, but I, I, I started crying because there was a gift. There's a spirit moving. So encourage each other. So real quick, what's the result of having these pillars over the church and we walking in our giftings? For the equipping of the saints, for the working of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We already talked about this. It's for the equipping. Our gifts, these, these pillars, the four pillars, are to build, edify, to equip, to bring unity. But then he goes on, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's the point? Our job is to reach and to strengthen and to grow and to create an environment through the power of the Spirit for maturity, for growth. Once again, God's concerned with spiritual growth, not necessarily numerical Numerical growth will happen when you make disciples because when you make disciples, they can't help but go out and tell people about the love of Jesus. But we need to be more concerned about are we rising up? Are we growing? Are we loving? Are we walking in the giftings? Are we walking in the spirit in unity and love and in boldness and maturing in Christ? You see, I, I think this is like this. Uh, today's church, this is what we are. Like, here's, here's my goal. Like, honestly, and I used to, I used to struggle with this. My goal used to be, I, I want a big church. I want a big church. Because, you know, the, the mega church movement, you got to have a big church. But, but right now, God has just kind of left me here where, like, let's just say this is salt. You guys are like, that's rice. Okay, I get it. But let's just say it's salt. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I want you to be good salt, okay? If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Like, what's the point of having a room full of unsalty people? Like, I want, now God has me such a heart for the church. And I mean, it's like breaking me. I'm actually starting to become empathetic. It's nice. Um, but I've got such a heart for people. I want the good salt. I want a room full of people who love Jesus, who are just in fire for Jesus, who love each other, who are just so ready for unity. I want to serve you. I come in, I'm not thinking about me. I don't care about me. You know, I care about you. What can I do to serve you? How can I wash your feet? Because the greatest amongst the, like Jesus, I came to be to serve, not to be served, and you're going to have to do the same. But what I feel the pressure and what most people are doing today is we don't really emphasize this. We don't really want the good stuff. We don't really care about the good stuff. We, you know, we just want salt it doesn't matter if it's good so we're gonna just have the, some good salt in the church but that's not good enough you know so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to walmart and say you know what how can we get more people with the plan let's have to get more people into the church and maybe we entertain them maybe we play some hell's bells that that'll bring some people in maybe we play some secular music maybe we get more lights maybe maybe that will do it maybe if the pastor starts proclaiming just truth that nobody gets offended by maybe that will be maybe if we just start saying things like we're all kind of saved by you know we're all following the same god it's all one 
one mountain. We're all just taking different paths. And so everybody's satisfied. Maybe we just start professing people, uh, you know, as prophets and professing good things over everybody, just saying positive things, positive things, positive. It doesn't have to be right. It just needs to be, let's just start doing that. And let's just start growing our church. So then we have an awesome, awesome church and a lot of, a lot of people. But the salt has, has no taste. It's lost its saltiness. There's no, this is not fruit. The good salt becomes buried within all of this because this, so all we're concerned about is this. Guys, what good is this? What can you do with this? Jesus says, if I have, whew, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this. Jesus says, if I have bad salt, I can't do anything with it. I, if you throw the bad salt on the manure pile, guess what happens? You ruin the manure pile. There's nothing you can do. Like Jesus literally says, if I throw you on the manure pile, the big pile, then you actually unsalt. Because at least manure has some redeeming qualities. Manure has some great qualities. But this pile, you, the salt does nothing. If you put it on the manure, that now it can't even be fertilizer. You've ruined it. And yet this is the goal of so many churches and pastors and leaders. And we go to the conferences and I'm like, what good is this? I mean, because all we could do is <laughs> look at my pile. How big's your pile? And we look, well, <laughs> my pile is bigger than your pile. Let me see your pile. And this is not the Bible. This is not the reason you don't find this model, you don't find this heart in the Bible because it's not there. So right, that's why so many people are going to McDonald's, going to the, the, the Walmart, going to these things to find the way to learn how to do this because it's not going to be found in Scripture. Scripture is let's raise up true disciples and edify, build them up, mature them, strengthen them, and let them go out and bring more people in to mature them, strengthen them, build up more people, but mature them, strengthen them. It's not to entertain people, bring a big pile in, and now we have a big pile, and the good salt is hidden in all of it. That's not the Bible. So our job as apostles, which is the foundation, prophets, evangelists, pastors, is to raise us up. Why? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the world, whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The point of all this is that you would not be tossed to and fro. The reason why we, we, I'm, I'm so get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, learn, grow, 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 because I don't want these doctrines and these mysticisms and these spiritual things that contradict scripture that aren't in scripture, but we've been grown up with them. Look, I've, I've grew up a lot of things that I've had to face in scripture, but the, it's not in the Bible. And we've got a question, are my circumstances, are my, or are my experiences scripture, or is the Bible scripture? And there is truly demonic presence out there that you're not, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that you don't get weird when you go talk to a Jehovah's Witness and they say, well, the, uh, Jesus was a, a, a you know, created being, and Jesus was actually Michael the archangel. Like, so you're not like, really? Like, is Jesus really Michael the archangel? Or when a Mormon talks to you, well, Jesus was actually the brother of Lucifer. And you're like, I didn't know that. You know? Or when you watch ancient aliens, this happens all the time. You watch ancient aliens. David, ancient aliens said that, that, that Elijah was actually rode up on a spaceship. 
rather than a chariot of fire. It, it matches. Or when you watch Da Vinci Code, I can't tell you how many people after watching Da Vinci Code came to me and their faith was shaken up. David, did you know Jesus was married? And they had a baby. It's on the, Tom Hanks said so. <laughs> but every wind of doctrine, no, you're strengthened, you're raised up in the ways of the Lord. You, you become like a tree, Psalms 1, you become like a tree firmly planted next to the river, growing and strengthening and strengthening and strengthening. And so that as we grow, as we mature, that we begin to speak truth and love and we use our gifts in truth and love. We do all things in truth and love. Look, maturity, you can speak truth but if it's not with love, it actually can be very, very damaging. Maturity speaks truth and love. See, my little girls, they speak truth. Any child that we have speaks truth. They don't do it in love. Daddy, why is your belly as big as mommy's? Like, Daddy, uh, why is your nose so big? Daddy, why are your ears got hair growing out of them? Daddy... And it's like anytime, you know, anytime we get in a weird situation where I know they're going to say something, it's like you almost are ready to, you know, stick their hand over their face because they speak truth. But it's not in love because they've not learned that. But our job is to grow in maturity and strength so we can start looking at each other and using our gifts in love, speaking truth in love, walking in maturity. And so that that way we can start bringing people in for the gospel's sake. My prayer for this church is that, first of all, we never compromise truth for unity. We never compromise truth for unity. That we never be people because we want to be united, that we start conforming. We say, well, we're just going to ignore some truth because everybody has different views or different backgrounds or different. No, we hold fast to truth. We are able to wrestle with kitchen table theologies. We're not dogmatic on things where, like, you know, do we baptize in water or we sprinkle or. You know, I don't care if you use a super soaker, right? It, it, it's, it's the word of God. It's the spirit of God. It's the, the trinity of God. There's foundational truths that we will unite over, but we, you know, we don't sacrifice truth and love, but that we are committed, single-minded in putting Christ's name on display. And you can't do that with pride. You can't do that if you're short-fused. You can't do that if you are not long-suffering. You can't do that if you are out of control and everybody's got to walk. You can't do that because the church was supposed to put the glory of God on display, the grace of God. And so I pray that this church becomes that.